If you had the ability, or if science ever came up with a way to travel back in time, what year would you choose to be the year you revisited? Interesting question, huh? I know for me that year would in fact be 1979. 1979 was one of my best years ever on this planet. And let me tell you why. First of all, I became a senior in high school. Now, how many here graduated after or before 1979? Go ahead, put your hand up, everybody, okay? Okay, <laughs> except maybe Kelly, if she's still in the room. And in 1979, uh, I became a senior, um, and I easily won class clown. I was awarded that. And I came in second as class flirt. Pretty great accomplishments, right? We won't talk about the academic record at all, okay? It was also the year that in my seventh grade English class, taught by Mr. Orr, that I was assigned a seat directly behind the prettiest blue-eyed blonde I'd ever laid eyes on, who five years later would become my baby mama. So that was a very, very good year just in those terms. But it was also the year where I got my first driver's license, which you see on the board before you, and I got my first car. And my first car was an old, beat-up, rusted-out, red, little 1972 Chevy Vega. <laughs> Who remembers the Vega, huh? Now, that's a death trap car if there ever was one, for sure. But 1979 was also great because I got to work uh, at my father's company as an intern. And I made a whopping $2 an hour for an entire summer. Now, how many know that that was a great, great wage back then for a, a person going into high school? And I just remember looking at my very first check, never knowing what taxes were all about, and being absolutely stunned how much Uncle Sam was able to take out of my rather small paycheck. Let me tell you, it was an eye-opener. But 1979 uh, was also the year where Pittsburgh, the city, reigned supreme as a sports town. That year, 1979, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, had won the Super Bowl, and they would eventually, eventually repeat uh, in January of 1980. It was also the year that the Pittsburgh Pirates, yes, the Pirates, won the, an enthralling World Series after being down three games to one. They won it in seven games. It was actually the last championship that the Pittsburgh Pirates had won. But 1979, that was an impressive feat by all measurements because they were the really, really big underdogs in that series. But what was more impressive that they won was how they actually won. The team was led by uh, home run slugger and uh, team captain Willie Stargell. Who remembers him, right? You can see him as number eight there, leaping. This was the uh, night that they won the World Series. He was affectionately, affectionately known as Pops. And he really wanted to foster a family feel for the team. This meant that if you um, made a, a good play or uh, made a great play, that you were uh, meted with a bear hug when you came back to the dugout and you were given a gold star to place upon your cap. And uh, if you didn't do so well, if you blundered or made an error, it did not matter. 
when you got back to the uh, dugout, Willie Pop starts would even give you a bigger bear hug and offer words of encouragement, setting the tone in the culture for the team as the season progressed. You could see after many plays that the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates were hugging it out in the dugout. It was quite an, uh, an anomaly for a sports team to do that. So what I want you to do is just hug right now the person next to you. Go ahead, lay a big bear hug on them. All right, go ahead. Come on, everybody. Violate the three-foot roll. Go ahead and do that right now. That's absolutely appropriate in the house of the Lord. Now, the theme song for the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates was actually a disco song from a group called Sister Sledge. Who remembers Sister Sledge? Who ironically were from Philadelphia. And uh, everybody knows that people from Pittsburgh hate people from Philadelphia and vice versa. It's one of the meanest, nastiest sports rivalries uh, in professional sports. But nonetheless, at every home game, what would blare at the end of the game was Sister Sledge's We Are Family. And that theme song ignited in United City. And so after the Pirates had won that World Series and Pittsburgh was dubbed the City of Champions, the entire city blared from street to street with, We Are Family. Now we're going to sing that in just a moment. We've Christianized it, but you're really going to enjoy it like they have in the first service. Now how many of you know that the church... Um, is more than an organization. It's more than just a worship site. Um, it's more than just a bunch of individual Christ followers who just happen to or randomly meet up together uh, during worship hour on Sunday morning. The church is more than an institution. It's more than just an event. It's a family. It's a family. How many did you know that this morning? There's a reason why God the Father calls Jesus, God the Son, a son. And there's a reason why the Son, Jesus, calls his Father in heaven his Father. Because they are the leaders of a spiritual family in heaven and on earth. Now there's many, many images in many, many scriptures regarding the familial nature and uh, identity and feel of family throughout the New Testament. I want to share a couple of those scriptures uh, with you. This is a little bit Bible drill today. How many know that we all need more Bible in our hearts and lives? Amen? So we're going to go through a bunch of these, and I really want you to pay attention to this family idea in these scriptures. Let's have the first one. It is from 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 14. John writes, I write to you, dear because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear, because you have known the... Amen. We're doing well so far. I write to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young... Because you are strong, and the Word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Did you catch it? 
okay? As you see in this passage, every family age level is accounted for. And later on in chapter 3, or the very next verse, chapter 3 of 1 John, he writes, the, I think, one of the most beautiful scriptures in all the New Testament. How great is the love of? Has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Even the Apostle Paul loved to play with this generational family thing when he told his son in the faith, Timothy, not to do something. How many of you elderly gentlemen in the room today like this scripture? Rebuke an older man. Well, we lost this phrase there. It should be, do not. <laughs> do not rebuke an older man. But encourage him as you would a younger as older as younger women as sisters. Now this was a great debate as I was leaving the first service. One, one of our senior ladies come, came up to me and said, if you ever call me your mama, I'm going to slap you. She said, you refer to me as sister. And I said, absolutely, I will indeed do that. Even the Apostle Peter, oh, I'm sorry, Paul loved to refer to the church in household terms, especially in two places. We're going to review those. In Ephesians 2.19, he says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's what? Household. In Galatians 6.10, a verse that we will work over deep more deeply next week as we have opportunity let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the what the family of believers the apostle peter called new christians uh infants infants and even jesus himself referred to his spiritual family in contrast to his biological or his earthly family. We see that in Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brother. Now, I don't know if you were like Mary and James, if you would appreciate so much that statement. Who are my mothers and my brothers? And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does, the, uh, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. So you've seen the family feel? Are you feeling it? Do you see it? Do you believe it? That as Christians, as Christ followers, we are inducted into a specific kind of family, namely the family of God. But you know that old statement, don't you? You can pick your friends, but you cannot pick your family. Well, that's not entirely so. Given that we can indeed pick our spiritual family, the only question is, 
how do we do it? How do we do it? Before we learn how, I'm going to share with you uh, a story about some of our best friends on the planet. Jimmy and Linda discovered, and they married around the same time we did, Lisa and I, that uh, they were unable to have children, trying as hard as they possibly could. They went through all the tests, the studies, you name it, they did it, and they were just incapable of doing so. Obviously, that devastated them and broke their hearts. So they considered, why not adoption? Why not adoption? And so they went through the entire process. And early in their relationship, their marital relationship, they adopted two toddler boys. And they loved it. And they poured out their love and their time and attention. And, and they, you know, the, they just gave so much to these little people. But how many know the problem with little people is they grow up like weeds very fast, right? And before a blink of an eye, the two boys were already out of the home. And this left a massive vacuum in their hearts. And so they thought, you know what? You know what we can do? Let's get into foster care and let's really treat it as a ministry. And they went through the training and all that. And they were assigned uh, probably over the years a couple dozen kids. And they preferred to really minister to the smaller kids. Well, the problem was uh, Jimmy and Linda were just such great lovers, such wonderful parents. Every time they had to return a child back, it really broke their hearts. And they would just be so brokenhearted that they would even go into fits of depression because of it. And so they were thinking, you know what? We're just not going to do that anymore. We're getting towards middle age. And you know what? Those little people really do suck up a lot of energy. So they really, really thought about just ending it. And they had done such an admirable and fantastic job. Until one time they were given a call uh, from the uh, foster agency asking them to reconsider at least one more time. So they thought about it and they prayed about it. Now this was a tremendously big ask. They were asked to foster a toddler and an infant who just happened to be brother and sister. I mean, that's pretty big. Out of nowhere, get back into it and do so with two little kids. And so this time they decided they would do it under the condition that they would foster these little children with what they referred to as detached compassion. Meaning that they weren't going to allow their hearts to be broken again, that they would care for the needs of these little people until it was time to give them back. That strategy probably lasted for two entire weeks. After the two weeks had passed, they fell insanely in love, pouring out their love, pouring out their care, pouring out their concern, treating these little children as their very own. After they went on, they said, they started to pray about and talk about maybe the adoption option. They said, yes, you know, we're getting up there like Abraham and Sarah. They had children in their old age. Why, what if we went ahead and took the steps to adopt once again? And this they did, is they wrestled through uh, bureaucratic red tape as they uh, cried, 
rivers and rivers of tears, as they prayed mountains and mountains of prayers, and as they spent bukus upon bukus of dollars, just two years ago, they adopted those two little children that are now officially theirs. This is a wonderful story. And I can't think of very many people that I respect more for just having such tremendous love for children in need and children at risk. But how many know that foster parenting is a wonderful ministry? Put your hand up. Maybe even some of you have even done it. But you know what's greater than foster, being a foster parent? Being an adoptive parent. And how many know that God doesn't want to be our foster parent? How many do you know that, by the way? Okay. He wants to be our adoptive parent. And so how does he become such? All we have to do is to ask him to adopt us. That's the good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For you see, over 2,000 years ago, God decided to open up a heavenly adoption agency, and he has chosen his son to run it. So I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures that demonstrate how much God wants to pour out his love upon us to become his adoptive children. Let's look at them. First, we have John 1, 12 through 13. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Wow. Did you guys see that phrase in there? That said that he gave them right to become his children. All who did receive him and believed in his name. This is speaking about those people who absolutely have taken Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their leader and their forgiver, who trust their whole lives, their whole existence upon his mercy and his grace to save them and grant them the gift of salvation, the free gift of salvation, have been born of God and then eventually adopted into God's family. The Apostle Paul is a little more explicit on how this adoption thing works when he talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, 5. He says, God having predestined us unto the adoption of children by what? Who? Jesus Christ. To himself according to the good pleasure of his will. I love that last phrase so much. I mean, God wasn't nagged into it, you know? God didn't do it because it was the good thing to do. It was God's good pleasure to adopt us through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. How many know that God wants a really, really big family? Amen. And how many of the family is really big? When we look at Hebrews chapter 12, one, we're, talk, we're told about the cloud of witnesses, right? The cloud of witnesses that speaks to the family of God in heaven and also the family of God on earth. Now this one scripture will change your life if you really get a hold of it. If you really, really grasp it and let it melt into your soul. It radically changed my life when I was a teenager. Romans 8, 15 and 16. You did not receive a spirit 
that makes you a slave again unto fear. How many know that religion by itself is slavery? Put your hand up if you know that. We're talking about a relationship with our Heavenly Father, which frees us and gives us liberty to be the children of God. But you receive the spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, everybody together, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That term Abba is an Aramaic term which speaks to the very first words that are uttered by an infant child. The first syllables a child can put together in the Aramaic language is Abba, or my Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's children. Oh, and Nida are famous lexicographers, and they explain this term adoption through the New Testament. I want to go ahead and just read it for you really quickly. It means to formally declare. So God is declaring something right now in heaven and on earth and in hell. He's declaring something. That someone who is previously not your child now is and is to be treated and cared for as your very own. What does God think about you? What does he think about me? He treats us and he cares for us as his very own. The adopted is now granted, get a load of this, get excited, more important than who wins that Super Bowl later on today, the adopted is now granted total legal rights of inheritance. Do you hear that? Now that word is uh, conditioned by the Roman form of adoption, whereas when a Roman would adopt somebody, he was given his entire estate on the death of the, adopted, of the adoptee. And so here's the point. Here's what I love to say to people. God will grant us an inheritance of everything that he owns someday. And what does God own, everybody? Everybody just say everything. Everything is ours. It's only a matter of time. And I know sometimes, you know, living the Christian life can be hard and difficult and arduous and sacrificial. And sometimes, you know, we can be just like the original disciples who left everything to follow Christ. They were always kind of upset about that. And they always asked Jesus, what is the payoff? You know, we could be out living it up, loving it up, loving life and living large like all of our pagan friends are doing. And Jesus said, cheer up, my little children. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32. For it is my father's, here's his term again, good pleasure to give you his entire kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read scriptures like this, I believe them. And I don't know about you, this wells up in me a praise and thanksgiving that absolutely, absolutely motivates me to get to know my adopted father through his word, through his people and through prayer. We get the legal rights 
of the inheritance of God. Because through his mercy and through his grace, he has adopted us into his family through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. How many believe that's good news for hell-bent sinners like us? That's glorious news. And that is the news of the gospel. Now next week we're going to talk about how we're supposed to treat each other as the family of God, as brothers, sisters, uh, mothers and fathers within the family. But for now, I want to make sure all of us receive this legal inheritance from God himself someday in the future. So I know many of you are already Christ followers. I don't know about all of you, but I'm going to make sure that we all get to know God and enjoy God more than we're already doing and that we get everything our Heavenly Papa got at the end of history. So you please stand and we're going to, uh, before we sing that uh, wonderful hymn, We Are Family by Sister Sledge, uh, I'm going to ask you to pray this adoption prayer with me. And truly mean it from the bottom of your heart. Make it your prayer that God would really do this miraculous work of adopting you in his family. We all pray with me together. Heavenly Father, with joy and repentance, we now receive your son Jesus and trust in him. Please make us born anew in you and adopt us into your family forever. Please keep raising us as your good and faithful children so that we might honor you. Thank you that all that you have, you freely and graciously inherit to us. All praise is yours. Amen and amen.